Joining us now is somebody who knows a little something about pitching and catching, and that is the great Hall of Famer, uh, Jim Palmer. Jim, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Craig Heist is here with us. Hey, Jim, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Quick, I'm reading quick. The Athletic about the Yankees' analytical okay. uh, ability to be better than anybody else. They're saying that the Yankees' analytical stuff is better than anybody else? Well, that's what the article kind of alludes to that. Okay. They have a guy named Michael Fishman. They have 20 uh, analytical people. That's a, that's it's a big It's an interesting idea. article. You should read it because uh, it talks about, and not that the number of analysts, Dodgers have 20, Yankees right. have 20, Astros and Braves have 15 each, Rays have 15. How many Orioles have? I was have? just going to say three. <laughs> Gee, I wonder how we segued that. Yeah. Um, they have five. They have five. Okay. And uh, the White Sox have two, Mets three, Athletics three, even though they did pretty well this year. I got I got a question about analytics. It seems to me that the Houston Astros, and I'm using two, uh, three actual acquisitions they made over the last 13 months, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and um, Ryan Presley. It seems they not only have the analytical information ammunition to di- dictate who would be good to pick up, they seem to have the extra ammunition to know how to make that person better. Garrett Cole, well, they have, you know, yeah, it's like a young player. You know, you you hopefully when you draft players, you know, you you look at their talent level and their character and you know, all of the above. And I mean, you, you hope you're going to get a good athletic player. Um, you know, if it's a pitcher, you, you know, um, okay. If it's Cody said, like, uh, do you want a guy that just, uh, you know, pitch one year as a starter in, you know, the big 10, or do you, you know, want a guy that was a three-year starter, um, that fits in a tough division or whatever. So, you know, you make those decisions, mm-hmm. but ultimately whether you sign guys or not, who's going to coach him? I think, it's funny when I, I was watching Ryan Presley, and you know, Houston came in for the last four uh, games of the year, and I'm talking to their guys. I said, "Okay, so yeah, well, we got Presley. We like this spin rate. Love the spin rate on his curveball. Well, he had that same spin rate in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and he still threw 95 or 96. But for some reason, you know, whether you know Furlander, you, you talk to AJ Hinch." Uh, you know, you get a guy that was a tremendous competitor. He was the MVP and Cy Young Award winner in, what, 2012. So, you know, he you know, got over 200. Well, he didn't have 200 wins then, but he had 190 or whatever it is, 188. You knew he was a great competitor. And you you'd go, okay, so, number one, we want somebody that's pitched in a postseason. Ah, oh, Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. We're going to bring him to a better team. Ah, oh, Justin Verlander. Then we're going to maybe tighten up the slider. How are we going to do that? But, you know, we're going to let Brett Strom actually work on the grip. Uh, you know, and as AJ, and then we're going to look at the analytics. You know, does he give up more fastballs in the fourth, fifth, sixth innings on his, you know, uh, base hits and higher average? So maybe we'll throw less fastballs and maybe we'll throw a few more sliders because the slider is better because mm-hmm. the tilt's better. You know, it's a great windup. I mean, if you're a young pitcher, and you're tall. I mean, that's you know, you get over your front side. If you if you notice, he almost catches the ball on the grass when you know when yeah. they throw the ball back. So you know, you look at all those things, and then you know you, you get players. I talked to Jim Crane when we were there in April, who owns the uh, the Astros, and he said, "Well, we use analytics, and then we we call we call out the players, and then we send our guys to look at them because eyes eyes can kind of maybe complete the the formula, so to speak." 
I mean, one more note on that. We had Steve Sparks on the show last week, and he alluded to the fact Garrett Cole in Pittsburgh struck out eight guys per nine innings. In Houston, it was 12. That's an amazing difference. Oh, yeah, I think it's one of the highest uh, increases in whatever. But, you know, the perfect example is you, you have to have a nice blend of, of, of analytics and scouting. And yeah. you know, I think the Orioles got away from that for whatever the reason was. I know they're going to make changes in both in analytics and uh, you know, in scouting. You know, my suggestion was to look to why a change in the first place. You know, maybe analytics you never had, mm-hmm. um, but why didn't you, you know, why weren't we scouting in, you know, in the international market? Why didn't we have more pro scouts? We used to have them. Right. Um, so, so basically, if you go back and look how the Yankees got the vote, you know, he came up last year, I'm sure, on their analytics when they started looking at exit velocity in the major leagues. He only got 83 at bats in 2017, but he had the 11th highest exit velocity. So he's on your radar screen. You know, I don't know how they do it on their computers, but he comes up as, Guys, then you okay? So you start looking at him. You probably look at him in spring training. It hurts a bleak. It's two oh six in uh, April, and you know it maybe goes up to two forty in uh, May because he's had a slow start. The weather probably is bad in Memphis. Well, maybe mm-hmm. not so bad in Memphis, but and then you're saying, gee, he's got him sitting three ten. And uh, as you're getting ready to make some moves and look at your ball club, if you're Brian Cashman, you know you call your scouts. He says, well, he's hitting three fifty in July. Bird can't play anymore for whatever the reason is. Can't hit a high fastball. The analytics have showed that. And, uh, you know, Judge just went down with a chip fracture of his right wrist. Um, hey, why don't we, you know, the guy's hitting 350 this month. You know, the exit velocity, the way he, you know, because you have a guy there, you see whether he can discern a ball from a strike, whether he waves at breaking balls, how's he control the strike zone, what's his barrel rate, in other words, how hard he hits the ball. You know, pitching's all about trying to, you know, strike people out now, which they seem very happy to do, throw pop-ups, fly balls, things like that, and then you move on. And that's how Luke Vogt becomes a Yankee, because mm-hmm. Brian Cashman finds a team, you know, and says, hey, what do you need? You know, calls mm-hmm. up, uh, um, what is it, Mos- Mosleyak, and John Mosleyak says, hey, what do you need? Well, we need a left-handed reliever. Well, we have the best bullpen in baseball, so we'll give you Ch- Jason uh, Shreve. Shreve yeah. And we'll yeah. throw in Gallegos, too. So right. all of a sudden, you get a deal for a 4A player, because Luke Vogt, had never proved anything else. So that's how trades work. And it's a nice blend between pro scouting because they see them, mm-hmm. the analytics identify them, and then you move on from there. Jim, I think one of the most interesting conversations <laughs> to have sometimes is when people try to compare different errors. And, and when you, for example, when you pitched as opposed to now, the game is so much different. They're, like you said, there's the analytics now and things of that nature. Could Jim Palmer have pitched in this era? Now, people, if you ask people that question, they're going to say, Jim Palmer could have pitched in any era. But what, 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 what did you think about pitching in this era? Well, I make a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> be paid better. That's true. You know, I probably, you know, and, and the Angelos just aren't shy about spending money. I mean, they, you know, they, they reward their players, um, you know, quite well. I mean, you know, I said Edward Bennett Williams, Jerry Hoffberger, you know, he wanted you to work for the least amount of money he could pay you. And, right. um, you know, that's just the way it was. And I mean, uh, you know, the revenues weren't the same as they are now. And, you know, he, that's, that's the thing. But I mean, I mean, you know, probably if you go back to maybe 12, 14, 15 years ago, I would have said, well, you know, it might have been a problem because 
uh, guys weren't striking out as much. They actually, you know, there was some pride in actually putting the ball in play. I mean, you know, if you look at your batting average, you know, the BABIP, which is batting average on balls in play, right. the league average is 300. So that tells me, even Stanton, you know, I mean, I watched last night's game, you know, he comes in and Kimbrell's Kimbrell, he's throwing 98, 99 miles per hour with a hard slide. He doesn't even swing. He couldn't get a swing off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he struck out, what, 212 times? Mm-hmm. So that's, if you start taking, you know, 30% of 212, now maybe he doesn't hit 37 home, you know, or 38 home runs, whatever he hit, 35 doubles or whatever. But at the end of the day, they probably score more runs. They, you know, they're probably a little bit more. I mean, you know, on, on a normal year, you know, Chris Davis, if, if he has a, 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 say, a you know, a 2014, 15, 16 year or even, you know, and then of course the last two years have been this year's been was horrible. Um, his batting average in balls and play was around 300. So you could put up with the strikeouts as long as he drives the ball, as long as he hits doubles, as long as he hits the ball gap to gap. But that stops. So now all of a sudden, you know, every time you have a rally, you know, you, you know, send up the guy. And I used to look at, at Killebrew and, and Frank Howard, who would lead the American League at home runs. And I'm going, geez, these are guys great hitters. But if I need a double play ball or a strikeout, you know what? The consequence could be bad, but if if I do what I need to do or what I'm capable of doing, I'm probably going to get out of that inning because I yeah. can strike these guys out. And so I think if I pitched in this era, didn't I ask you once? You told me. I mean, there was an article in um, uh, SB Nation that I was the most overrated Hall of Famer because my batting average in balls and play. I, re- was I remember that. Yeah, two forty nine, and and I asked you on the field. I said, "So why don't you go look at what happens? Because you can get all these numbers. What happens with a runner in third and less than two outs when I didn't want to give up a run?" And he said, "Oh, it went up by like, what nineteen, twenty percent, something like that." Yeah. So now you have players actually participating in you striking them out. They're all trying to hit home runs. They don't ever try to, you know, mm-hmm. to do anything but, you know, air it out. They go to lighter bats to get more bat speed because when they hit this more lively baseball, it's going to go farther. So, you know, I, I think I could probably figure it out. And let's throw the other thing in there. I wouldn't be throwing 130 to 160 pitches every game. I wouldn't be pitching every fourth day. Um, I probably would be, um, you know, maybe pitching – probably averaging six and two thirds or seven and a third innings. And everybody would go, God, what a great job, Jim. But you know, these guys don't play for Earl Weaver. You know, they don't play in that era where (laughs) whatever you did, it wasn't really satisfactory as far as I was concerned. We're talking with the great Jim Palmer, Jim. um, I got to ask you a a little bit of a tricky question here. I got a little bit friendly a couple of years back through this show. I called him up and couldn't have been nicer. Came on the show several times. Rick Peterson, who Dan Duquette hired to be the organizational pitching coach throughout the organization. And at a certain point after he was let go, he basically told me that, well, Buck and, you know, Dan, Dan liked what I, my theories and liked what I had to say. Dan and his people, I mean, Buck and his people basically thought I was like, you know, they looked at me like I had four heads. How can an organization be all pulling in the right direction if you have such a diversity of opinion there at the top? Well, it wasn't. And I think that was always one of the disconnects. Yeah. You know, Buck, I mean, yeah, and Buck's, Buck's, you know, he's been manager of the year three times. Yeah. But Buck's Buck. You know, Buck has his own, uh, you know, ideas, and most of them are pretty good. I mean, you know, I mean, did a nice job. I mean, I mean, really, if you want to think back, what, what the Rick Adair situation where he didn't realize how uh, toxic Rick Adair was for the oil pitching staff, yeah. you know, and that of course that 
that kind of uh, uh, precipitated the uh, uh, the Arietta and Strope. I mean, I know that Strope's still pitching for the yeah. Cubs. Yeah, he's still. And Arietta right. made what one hundred and twenty million dollars yeah. or whatever it was for the and Phillies. We, and we had Scott but, um, Feldman for two months. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. I mean, but see, I mean, again, if you go back, I mean, you can go back and revisit a lot of trades. You know, you know, I mean, Nelson Cruz. They, 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 they and, and I think this would be my point, and hopefully the organization understands this, which is try to try to going in a different direction. Okay, you had Nelson Cruz for $8 million. He was part of the biogenesis. Now, you know, Nelson told me, he said, listen, I, you know, I got sick, you know, and again, this could just be agent talk. He said, my agent said, hey, try this stuff. He said, you know what, you need to get, regain the weight for the season. So he gets caught. I mean, actually, nobody got tested. Mm-hmm. Just somebody didn't pay somebody $900, and, you know, it all went public and blah, blah, blah. So you get him for $8 million in August. He's leading the American League at home runs. <clears throat> Now, I don't know if anybody went to him then and said, hey, Nelson, we'd love to have you. You're, you, you know, you're Hispanic. You're great in the locker room. You're great on the field. You always have a smile on your face. Um, you know, when we signed uh, Andrew, you know, when we went to get Andrew Miller, did anybody say, hey, let's try, let's try to sign him right now? Right. Because that way we can mute him, as the Yankees did when they signed him for four years as a trading trip. Yep. So you don't really know what went on. You don't really know whatever. But, I mean, so, you know, Buck, I mean, you know, the only two things really is the Rick Adair, which seemed to be a major thing because he was teaching all the pitchers. And that was, he, he, that only happened because Mark Connor left. And, uh, and then, you know, the Obaldo thing up in the Toronto, I, you know, I asked him the next spring and he said, he'll have to read about it in the book because there was no plausible reason ever to use Obaldo Jimenez in the 11th inning. Mm-hmm. It was a sudden death game when you had Tommy Hunter. Because everybody says, well, the obvious is Britain. Well, you had Tommy Hunter and Don Bundy. Yeah. Hunter had a great September when he came back from Cleveland. And Dylan Bundy was, you know, 94 to 97 out of the bullpen. And, well, you had a lot of options. The fourth option was was the ball, though, and he somehow gets into the ballgame. So, uh, you know, so you had Buck on one side, and then you had the, the Ket faction on the other. Um, and I don't think they ever saw eye to eye. Yeah. Uh, you know, I asked A.J. Hinch when he was in with the Astros. I said, do you, do you get along with Jeff Ludo? He said, yeah. He said, we don't always agree on what we want mm-hmm. to do, but hey, I mean, there, there's a, a commonality of, of, of the goal, which is to win and to get the best players and try to be competitive every year and so on and so on. So um, let me back. Yeah, there are a lot of things that went on that you don't, maybe sometimes we just don't know all, all, yeah. all really what went on behind the scenes. Let me just backtrack real quick. Did Were you a Rick Kranitz fan? Because to me, the worst decision Buck Showalter ever made was not, keeping Kranitz for at least one more year to work with him a little longer. I mean, he trusted Mark Connor, but when Connor left, we, we ended up with Adair. And I thought Kranitz was making some progress with the young pitchers. Well, he did a, you know, if you look at him, he did a great job with Billy this year. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing. He's a, you know, very um, uh, level-headed guy, uh, never overreacts. You know, I mean, the Orioles have had good pitching coaches. You know, I mean, I mean, I were big Dom Cheedy and uh, Dave Wallace fans. Mm-hmm. You know, you had microwave. You know, Cheedy, who, uh, you know, but again, if you look at the extensive um, um, background they had, um, you know, I, and going back to your original thing, I, I think that they were kind of the anti uh, Rick Peterson. I mean, I I always liked Rick Peterson. I, I mean, I get, got to know him when he. You know, had the really good pitching staff with the, the money ball era out in Oakland. I mean, he had three college pitchers that were outstanding. Um, you know, so he did a great job there. And, you know, it was his, 
you know, he was a mechanical guy, and everybody talks about mechanics because you got to have a good delivery to be able to pitch competitively at the big league level. But his three things, I think, were uh, pound the strike zone, be able to pitch inside, and have something to throw other than a fastball and a fastball strike mm-hmm. count. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, so again, but I think he was totally different than uh, T.D. Wallace. Doesn't make, you know, I'm not stating that either one of them was bad because mm-hmm. they weren't. So I just think they had a little different way they went about things. I mean, you know, I mean, still remember talking to Rick. Uh, I was waiting to do a card show out in, I don't know where it was, um, in Louie or something, just on a Saturday morning, and, and Gosman was coming up through the minor leagues. And, you know, I talked to him for about 10 or 15 minutes because I had gotten there early. And, you know, he's telling me about Gosman and how he said, hey, you know, that same pitch you throw away, you can just pound him up and down and in that two-seat fastball, and they'll never hit it. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Gosman got even better. So, you know, he knew what he was doing, but I think it was just a different uh, way of, of, of going about things. And, uh, you know, he certainly had some success uh, over the years. Jim, let me ask you this. Uh, how do you, now that Buck and Dan are no longer in the picture, how do you see this shaking down as we go forward and then not too far after the World Series when they put this thing together is, is the direction they're going to go in? Can you see a, 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 you know, a director of baseball operations, uh, and then, you know, he hires yeah. the GM and then... Yeah, do you uh, see a two-tier power structure there where there's a director of baseball ops that answers to I, John I really Lewis? don't know, but yeah. I do know that, you know, I mean, if you you need to get somebody like Jeff Luno that came over to Houston. I mean, I think everybody's using them. And, of course, Theo Epstein did a nice job. He, um, you know, I don't think they lost the 100. I mean, they just were bad for so many years, but they didn't lose the, uh, you know, the three years where they had 100 losses. Um, whoever comes in, I mean, you know, you know, I think analytics and, uh, you know, if you look at guys that have history and, and scouting and analytics and, you know, which Luna that, and also international scout, I mean, the Orioles, it's rather obvious. They, when you look at the quality of the players, you know, and the percentage of, uh, Latin players, whether they're from the Dominican or Venezuela, Panama, Colombia, I mean, you name it, um, they're, they're, they're in the high 30%. And they're very good players, and um, you know they can help you win ball games. And you know, in some cases, if you look at Atlanta, I mean, when you you know you look at uh, all these, and you know some of the guys that were rare for Philadelphia, they they were guys that signed for a lot less than a lot of American um, players. Now that is probably going to change a little bit, but again, there's there's values if you actually scout. I, I sit with Ramon uh, Martinez on the uh, playing the. You know, the longtime pitcher, brother of Pedro sure. Martinez, and he lives in Dominican. He said, listen, you, first of all, you have to you upgrade your facility, which I think the Orioles are going to do. I, uh, they don't even have air conditioning down there, which is have to be very uncomfortable, even if you're a young kid where you don't really care how hot it is. You know, I mean, when I went to the Basin League, the college league, it was, you know, we didn't have air conditioning. But then you're trying to become a major league player. You'll do whatever you want. But the other facilities for the Yankees and Blue Jays, et cetera, Cardinals, they're much updated. So they'll do that. And then you have to establish a presence. I mean, they got to believe that you're actually going to sign players, you know, and the Orioles, you know, they signed a couple players this year and we'll see how good they are. But in years past, it's been mostly, uh, you know, using the international money to, to try to get uh, established minor leaguers, you know, in some cases, a lot of triple A, four A guys that you hope will, you know, like Paul Fry, who, you know, seems like be a nice acquisition. I mean, he can add a two seam, uh, fastball and a changeup, um, and then all of a sudden he becomes an even better pitcher. So, you know, there are some bargains there, but most of the guys we sign um, in those 
capacities didn't really work out. So you have to do it in the international market. So whoever you end up getting has to feel comfortable, has to be able to implement getting scouts and, and establishing, uh, you know, uh, really a role and a presence, in, you know, in, in the Latin market. And, well, you know, I <clears throat> all I have to do, guys, is read the press guides, and you see how many Latin scouts the White Sacks yeah. have or, you know, a lot of the, the teams we play. And they're immense uh, because yeah. they're trying to find players and, and be able to sign them because it's a good way, um, if you don't violate the rules like Atlanta did, um, to, to get better. <laughs> We're talking with Jim Palmer. Jim, I got two real quickies for you. I, just so I understand, when Bamberger was the major league pitching coach, would Bamberger oversee the minor league? Was there a minor league roving instructor? In other words, were things being taught in one coherent way that players at every level would have a shorthand and, and understanding? Well, let's go back to when George wasn't the, the major league pitching coach. Everything was taught. What George taught in the minor leagues was better than what was being taught in the big leagues because, okay. you know, I, I saw George, George in um, in Aberdeen, South Dakota, when I played for Cal Senior in 1964, and then I went to instructional league, and he changed my whole career. Uh, you know, changed my lineup. I walked. I didn't give up many runs.